0: Good morning, Gateway family. What a joy it is this morning to be with you. Um, Grady and I are so excited to be able to be here in these certain times that we say are unprecedented, uncharted waters. Um, It's even difficult sometimes to say what a joy it is and how excited we are to be with you looking at the times that we're in. But Grady and I are excited to be in this place again, to be able to encourage you this morning, to open God's word, to be able to bring hope and encouragement through the person of Jesus. And I first also wanna just take a moment Um, just acknowledge and recognize Fraser. We are so blessed and so, so grateful for them to be able to give us the opportunity to come here our third week, to be able to encourage you to be in this studio that God has given us and blessed us with, this technology. We want to thank Matt and Alita and just the the whole uh, administration of Fraser Church. They've opened... They're home here to us as our brothers and sisters in Christ to allow many churches to come in here and to bring the word, to encourage other congregations and to allow the gospel to go forth. So as you're praying, for many situations that are going on during this pandemic, God, lift, continue to lift up Fraser TV and those that are here, their families, that they have sacrificed their time to come and to allow the gospel to continue to go forth. So we are very, very grateful to Fraser and the family that we have here. I want to take a few moments before I pray and before Pastor Grady comes up to bring the word. Um, the Lord has put a couple of things in my heart just to continue to encourage you all with. Grady and I are so grateful what we're hearing From those within our faith family, how you're going above and beyond being proactive to gather together uh, through Zoom, through phone calls, uh, Bible studies, and life groups, and different ones are getting together to just share life and continue to encourage each other and to come together in the simplest way we can. And we are so grateful that we're hearing that. And I just want to read a scripture that ties into that to continue to encourage us with the heart that we desire as your leadership, as we're praying for you, that we can reach out and go above and beyond to look at those that are in need, those that some may be hurting, a simple phone call, a simple text, whatever it is, to reach out to others to help in this time of need. So I want to read Philippians chapter 2, a few verses here that's very familiar to us, but just to continue to encourage us of the mindset of God's heart for us right now. Paul says here in Philippians 2, "'Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ,' If there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And here it is. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interests of others. And I know we've been doing this and my heart is to encourage you as our faithful to continue to look out for the interests of others. Ask the Holy Spirit if there's someone that God can put on your heart to call or send a note or encourage. And the reason we do this, the beauty of the gospel and why we do this is these next few verses that I want to just remind us of the beauty of why we can serve others faithfully And to look to others in this sacrificial love. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And just that's our hope. That's our hope friends is that we look to the name of Jesus who has all power and all authority and by doing that we then in turn can look to others, our neighbors, our friends, our families to be able to look out for their interest as Jesus did for us. And before I pray, I know these past few weeks we sometimes pray for the churches in the community, and God's really put it on great in our heart to just look at some of the international situations that we're connected with as a part of looking out for the interests of others. And I want to read a Facebook post that Pastor Mark, our dear friend down in Haiti, just posted early yesterday. And I know, guys, we're going through a lot of things in this city, in this nation that are Terrifying and scary and tragic and can be fearful. But God, we need to, guys, we need to look beyond that. And there are so many countries that have no resources, that have no opportunity to have the medical care that we have. And they're in dire, dire straits here in Haiti. And I want, just as a faith family, for us to be reminded of this, to pray for them, to be reminded to look beyond our walls, even here in the United States, to our friends that are abroad. So I want to read this and then we'll prepare ourselves to pray. Pastor Mark says, on March 20th, the president of Haiti asked the Haitian population to stay home because they started to find some coronavirus cases here. After a few days, we can see that the marketplaces are still full with people. The population say they prefer to die with COVID-19 than to die with hunger inside their house. It is so sad, but they are right. More than 90% of the population have to go in the street each day to have money just to buy a portion of food for that day. They do not have money to buy food for a week. Those who can buy food for a week do not have a refrigerator. Even for those who have refrigerators, there's no electricity. And of course, I'm describing the situation here in my country where I live for my entire life. This is the answer that all Haitians give when a journalist asks them why they don't stay at home. The journalist says, are you not afraid of coronavirus? And they answer, we prefer to die in the street with that disease than to die hunger inside our house with our family. I still cannot imagine what Haiti would do if we would start to have thousands of cases when we do not have hospitals here. May the Lord Jesus come. Please, guys, be praying for my country. Of course, we are praying for you, too, in the States. And that has been Pastor Mark Hartford. He always says, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we are praying for you. But that is clearly evident, friends. We just need to go to God for mercy to pray for this nation, to pray for Pastor Mark, who's involved in multiple churches and multiple communities there in in Haiti. We also know, as I got on, Helena and the orphanage school in India that we're connected with, that we pray for, that we support. They are in quarantine and lockdown, so they are safe and being taken care of um, in their own special way. But just also to pray, Haiti, these guys just started building a church about a week and a half ago in the mountain there in Gillard. So they're in the midst of trying to build a church for the gospel to go forward in the hills of Haiti, as well as trying to deal with just providing food for their families. So with that mindset of us looking beyond ourselves, I want to encourage us. I was in the book of Job this week, and God really encouraged me through his own words of how he expressed his heart to Job here at the end of this trying time for Job and what he went through. And I just want us to receive this, that this is the God we serve. This is the God Grady's going to preach about today and encourage us with. And the God that we can go to each day and trust because he's faithful and good and righteous and holy. So as we begin our prayer time and we just come before the Lord and focus in, I'm going to begin our prayer time with declaring these words from Job to set the tone of God's providence and his sovereignty and his power. God declares to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who sets its measurements? Since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment, a thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors. And I said, Thus for you shall come but no farther, and here shall your proud waves stop. And who has cleft a channel for the flood, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land without people, or a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Has the reign of Father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice, and the frost of heaven who has given it birth? Water becomes hand like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season, and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinance of heaven, or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of heaven? When the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? Lord, I could go on and on as you have declared here in Job, but God, I needed this comfort this week. I needed this assurance, this steadfastness, this goodness of who you are and your sovereignty over all things your sovereignty over the weather, the universe, the stars, the constellations, the planets, your kingdom of animals, all these things, God, as you are asking all these questions to Job, and there's only one answer, and it's you. You are the answer of all these things. You are sovereign and providential over it all. You are in control. And that's why we can come before you this morning, entrusting these prayers to you, entrusting our hearts to you, And God, as we've cried out for the last two weeks from this very spot, we cry out, God, for your mercy to fall on this world, for your mercy to fall during this pandemic, that you would eradicate it, that you would stop it. If you can bring the boundaries to the oceans and the boundaries to the orbit of the stars and planets and all that they do, God, you can stop this virus. We know that's in your power and in your ability to do so. And we are crying out for your mercy, God, that you would come in your power in that way. And for those that are struggling now, God, we pray for healing. We pray for protection. As we just declared in your word, Lord, who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? God, we pray you give wisdom to our president. You give wisdom to the task force. You give wisdom to our other governing officials all across this country, our governors and officials that are making life-changing decisions for all of us. God, they need your wisdom, your mind during this time. We pray you bring discernment and wisdom and guidance to them for our benefit, for your glory, for your kingdom's sake, Lord. And we entrust them to you. And Lord, for our Gateway family, as we continue to meet, continue to reach out to each other, continue to cultivate community amongst ourselves as best we can in our situations individually, I pray, God, that you continue to draw us to yourself, continue to reveal yourself to us individually and in our families and our marriages and corporately as a body, God. We want to see you so rightly, so clearly, because as we talked about a few weeks ago, Lord, the more we get to know you in your ways, in your attributes, in your character, we will be able to endure through these situations because we'll see you as faithful and good. And Lord, we do lift up Pastor Mark in Haiti in this situation. God, it's almost hard to even know what to pray, but just show up, God, in that nation. I pray, God, that you bring a protective bubble over that country that has very minimal resources, very minimal medical care, very minimal ways to bring any type of of medicine and things into that country. God, protect the nation of Haiti. And for those Christians within it, God, we pray you give them supernatural energy and vigor, protect them, keep them safe as people are gonna come to them looking for hope, come to them looking for answers. And the answer is you, Jesus. And I pray you would give them strength and wisdom on how to communicate and, and share the gospel and share what's going on in this situation. But we do pray for safety and protection over the nation of Haiti and for uh, providing needs of whatever Pastor Mark needs in his role as a shepherd, as a pastor, to reach out to those in his community. And for Helena and the orphanage, Lord, we thank you that they are quarantined and they're safe. We pray you continue to give her wisdom on decisions that need to be made for the school and the kids, provide wisdom and resources for them as well. And we just want to continue to see your gospel and glory going forth in that nation. And God, thank you for the privilege we have each week to pray for an unreached people group, to look beyond our borders, look beyond even those relationships that we have in Haiti and India. And God, specifically this morning, as I was researching, Lord, we lift up the uh peoples, Mazandarani peoples of Iran. They're the largest people group in that nation. They live close near the Caspian Sea, near the northern border. They are part of the Ithna Ashari Islamic faith. And Lord, we know Iran is struggling desperately. Many deaths have happened in that country and they serve a false God. They serve a false idols in that country. And God, I pray for those underground church, that underground Christians that are in Iran, that even now in this pandemic, in this global pandemic, situation that brings people to talk about their mortality and life after death, that you would spur them on in boldness to share their faith to this people group, this large people group, God, that we can see a revival break forth during this season as your gospel goes forward from other Iranian Christians to reach the lost in this community. And Lord, they don't even have their um, language in a written form. So I pray, God, that you would even stir during the season Christian linguists that would go in and do an opportunity to come with a written language for this people group so that the Bible may be translated for them and words and movies and things can go in that the gospel can be revealed and shared. And Lord, we just thank you for that privilege to pray for those beyond our borders. Our brothers and sisters in Christ elsewhere, so we can ask you to continue to move among those nations. Lord, we thank you for Grady. We thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you, God, for his heart to shepherd us and lead us and serve us. We pray, God, for continued protection for he and Julia and the family during this season. Keep him healthy and strong. May your Holy Spirit come and refresh him to bring your word forward, to give him strength and energy, God. We thank you so much for him. And may your word go forth. Holy Spirit, come. As you are our teacher, you are the one that brings revelation and enlightenment, and you are the one to guide us into all truth. Have your way this morning as your word comes forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Helping us focus on the nations. We've seen that when we studied the Psalms, that God's heart is to be glorified among the nations. I'm so thankful to be part of a church family that shares that burden even in the midst of the trials we're going through right here in Montgomery that we still are burdened and praying for what's happening all around the world. I just want to thank you for that. Well, this morning, friends, I want to ask you a question. What did you think about the most yesterday? What did you ponder yesterday? How about today so far? What have you thought about the most? What have you been pondering and dwelling on in your mind? In other words, what has filled your mind? Has it been updates on the coronavirus situation Has it been stories from books you're reading or movies you're watching or TV shows? Has it been lyrics from songs that's filling your mind? Or has it been simply what your friends are posting on social media? Friends, what has been filling your mind? Because friends, what we think about, what we ponder, what we dwell on is really, really important. Because what we think about is going to drive our behavior. Our behavior really is just a reflection of what we think and what we believe. What we fill our minds with will shape how we talk and how we interact with people during this season that we're in. Friends, in the season of the restrictions and the trials of the coronavirus, friends, what are we thinking about? Perhaps the better question is, what should we be thinking about? And to help us consider what we should be thinking about this morning, we want to go back to the Old Testament, to one of the Old Testament prophets. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophets were people who brought a message from God to his people, and this morning I us to focus on the prophet Isaiah and a particular message that he had. So if you'll find your, in your copy of God's Word on your Bible app on your phone, find Isaiah. If you need to find it, just find the Psalms and go right, just a little bit, and you'll bump into Isaiah's prophecies, Isaiah's book there in the Old Testament. Now, the prophet Isaiah had a really hard assignment. He had a really hard message from God. He had a rebuke to God's people. And there's much we can learn from his prophecy and from the rebuke of God's people at the time. But that's not what we're going to focus on this morning. I want to focus on Isaiah chapter 6. Because Isaiah chapter 6 is the autobiographical section that Isaiah inserts here in the middle of the prophecy. It's the autobiography of his call to be a prophet, but even more so his encounter with God. Because years later, he's still writing this prophecy and recording it. He's still thinking about, he's still dwelling about what he saw of God that particular day. And the experience he had with God forever changed. So I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 6. Now, if you remember last week, remind us that in Scripture, there's two big categories. There's descriptive text that just tell us what happened. And there's prescriptive text that are full of commands. Now, two weeks ago, we saw a descriptive text in Psalm 73 with Asaph and how he turned his focus to God from his circumstances. Then last week, we went back to Philippians chapter 4 and saw a prescriptive text full of commands of how we're to not be anxious, but how we're to rejoice and how we're to pray and so many other things in that text. For today, we come back to another descriptive text, the description of Isaiah's encounter with God. Now, before we jump into Isaiah 6, I want to remind us and look at why does God give us these descriptive texts. Our text this morning has no commands in it. It's an example for us. But why then do we have these descriptive texts? I believe that the answer comes in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, hear what Paul writes. He says, "...for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope." Did you hear what he said there? What was written in the former days? That's the Old Testament. Friends, so often I fear we neglect the Old Testament to our own peril. There's so much that we need to learn from it. Notice what he says. These things written in the Old Testament, these things written in the former days, written down for our instruction. So even though there's no commands to us in Psalm 73 and no commands to us today in Isaiah 6, these descriptions are written for our instruction. But notice something else about it here in verse 4 of Romans 15. They're written for our instruction that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And friends, that's my prayer for us. As we walk through the situation where there's so much fear and really so little hope, that God might give us hope as we go back and look at what was written in Isaiah 6 for our instruction. That is my prayer for us this morning. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. We're going to look at the first eight verses. And if you're able, like we do when we're gathered together at the Gateway Campus, would you stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. And as usual, I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then, when the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, they had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that in your grace and in your kindness, you have given us your word. That God, you've not hidden yourself from us, but you've shown us who you are and who we are and what it means to be in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word together, God, that you would just let your word come alive, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and illumine us to the truth of the word that you've given to us, that we might see more of your greatness and your beauty and your splendor today, and it would change us just like it changed Isaiah. So have your way in our midst, even as we're scattered across Montgomery. I pray you still have your way as we gather together around your word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, if you're standing, you may be seated now. Well, our main idea, and normally when I give you a text, I try to give you a main idea, a summary of the text to guide our discussion of it. I really wanna give us, our main idea as a challenge today. And here's our challenge for us from Isaiah 6. Ponder the greatness of God and let those thoughts transform us. Friends, we need to ponder the greatness of God and to let those thoughts transform us. We need to ponder. We need to think deeply about who God is, his character, his nature, his attributes. As we think about that, friends, it will not leave us unchanged. The more we ponder and fill our minds with thoughts of the greatness of the one true God, it will forever change us. We need to ponder the greatness of God and let those thoughts transform us. Let's start this morning by looking at pondering, thinking about the greatness of God. Now, in our last two weeks, I've referred to what we call the attributes of God. Attributes mean his characteristics, his nature. In the first four verses of Isaiah 6 this morning, we see six distinct attributes of God, six distinct aspects of his character, of his nature. I'm going to show you these six parts of the greatness of God from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. The number one attribute I want you to see, first of all, is that God is eternal. God is eternal. That means he's always existed and always will exist. Look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now there's lots of ways that Isaiah could have described when this vision happened. This is a great reminder. This is history we're actually reading. This actually happened to Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. But why did he describe it that way? Because he's making a contrast for us here. He's making a contrast between earthly kings who will all die and the eternal king who will never die. And so he shows us that even though earthly kings will pass away, God is the one still sitting on his throne, that God is eternal. Friends, do you realize that God never had a beginning? That before there was even time. And yes, friends, that means that God created time. There was a time when there was no time. So let your mind hurt on that one a little bit. But there was a time when there was no time and there was just God because God has always existed. And there will never come a time, even when time as we know it ends, when God ceases to be God. Ten trillion years from now, God will still be God and he will still be eternal. He'll still be everything that we see here today. Friends, I found a helpful description from one of my favorite authors this week, and it helped me a lot thinking about this in the midst of the reminders of the frailty of life that we see as we walk through this coronavirus trial. Here's what this author said. He said, there's not a single head of state in all the world that will be here in 50 years. The turnover in world leadership is 100%. In a brief 110 years, this planet will be populated by 10 billion brand new people, and all 4 billion of us alive today will have vanished off of the earth, just like Uzziah, but not God. He never had a beginning, and therefore he depends on nothing for his existence. He always has been and always will be alive. Friends, God is eternal. There's a second attribute of the greatness of God I want you to see here in this text, and that is that God is sovereign. In other words, sovereign means the right to rule over a place or over people. It's the right and also the power to rule. It means that you can do what you want to do. And for God, that means he is a sovereign ruler who is over all of his creation, and God can do what God wants to do. Look back at verse 1 again of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Now, throne here represents the right to rule. That's why so often when you're reading history, it talks about who sat on the throne during a certain period of time. It's a description of someone who has the right to rule. And God has the right to rule over all of his creation because he made it. But it says that God's throne, his ruling over all things, his sovereignty, it is high and is lifted up. That his throne is above everything else in all creation. There is no authority higher than God. That God alone is sovereign. He is supreme. There was a theologian in the 1900s who also was a politician, and yes, apparently those can go together to be politician, theologian. His name was Abraham Kuyper. In the 1900s, he wrote this. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign overall, does not cry, Mine. And do you realize that, friends? There's nothing in all the world over which God is not saying, this is mine. I am sovereign. I am ruling. And that we may not understand why things are happening the way they are, friends. God is sovereign. He is on the throne that is high and lifted up. And he is ruling and reigning, accomplishing things that we can't even begin to understand. God is that great. He's eternal and he's sovereign. But number three in our text here, I want you see that God is majestic, God is majestic. By that, I mean that God is beautiful. Still in verse 1. There's so much in this verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And notice this. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now think back to history when you studied that a long time ago in school. And when you thought about history, you saw pictures in your books, or when even you've seen kings in the movies, the kings had on these royal robes, and the robes would flow off the back of their throne. They'd be beautiful, and there'd be no imperfections. They'd be covered with jewels and just beautiful in all ways. That's the image that we're trying to get here, that it's what the kings wore were majestic. They were beautiful because it showed the beauty and the power of the king but maybe an image we can get our minds more around today is think about the last wedding you went to and when the bride walks down the aisle and all of her beauty with the dress flowing down the aisle filling the aisle the dress fills the aisle now get those images in mind now go back to what the picture isaiah is painting for us what he actually saw here it says the train of god's robe filled not just the aisle not just the throne but it filled the whole the entire temple here What Isaiah is trying to help us see is how vast God is and how splendid, how majestic he is. Think of the most beautiful thing you can see on earth. And God is infinitely more beautiful than that. The train of his robe, just the train of it, fills the entire temple with his beauty. God is eternal. God is sovereign. God is majestic. But there's three more attributes in these first several verses. And the next three all come in one scene. So I want you to see what's happening here to get the image in our mind from which we see the rest of the attributes. Look at verse number two. Above him, above God, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. Now, use your imagination. Try to picture what Isaiah has just described for us. He talks about these beings called seraphim. Now, in the Hebrew, the word seraphim literally means flames or burning one. So when we hear the word seraphim, we're not typically getting the same image that the original hearers, when they heard this in Hebrew, would have heard. This literally says, they would have heard, above God stood the flaming ones. Above God stood the burning ones. Friends, it means they're so bright that the only way to describe these creatures is that they look like they're on fire, they're burning, they're full of flames. Now these seraphim, these creatures, have faces because they cover them with their wings. They have mouths to speak because they have voices that we'll see in the next verse. And they have six wings, which shows us that these are incredibly strong, powerful creatures. Now that may sound really strange to us, right? But think about something. Think about the diversity of creatures God has made on this earth. If you ever watch National Geographic or Discovery, you see these fantastically creative creatures in the depths of the ocean or flying in the air or places far away. God is so creative, and God created all these diverse creatures on earth. Why? Because it pleased Him and because it glorified Him. So, is it any wonder that God would create very unique creatures even in heaven to glorify Him and to praise Him as well? But notice something about the seraphim as well, friends. Unlike us, they're perfect, they've never fallen. When Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven, all the sinful, all the ones who sinned against God were kicked out. Everything in heaven is perfect now. These seraphim have never sinned as you and I have. They are perfect beings. And yet these perfect beings with no sin, they still cover their feet in the presence of God in humility. Though they're sinless, they're still humble before God because they see the greatness of God with their eyes. They cover their faces when they're in the presence of God because of the brilliance of who he is. So get that image in your mind of what's happening around the throne because we see three more attributes of God in what these seraphim say. We see that God is eternal, that God is sovereign, and God is majestic or beautiful. But number four, we see that God is holy, that God is holy. Look at verse number three here. And one, this is one seraphim, called to another seraphim, and he said this, "'Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory.'" Now, in the Hebrew language, this was written. And when you say something three times in a row, it means it's really important. It's getting a huge emphasis and a huge stress here. And what is so important to the seraphim is that God is holy, holy, holy. Now, the word holy literally means separate or set apart. It means something that's not common. So the seraphim are declaring that God is separate, separate, separate. He's unlike them and he's unlike us. They're saying that God is set apart, set apart, set apart. That God is not common, not common, not common. That God is unique and he is above everything else in that. But friends, holiness also carries with the idea of purity. That yes, God is set apart, but God is also pure. God is perfect. And they're proclaiming that God is perfect, perfect, perfect. Because God has never sinned and he never will. God has never done anything wrong And he never will. God is perfect in his character. He's perfect in his thoughts. He's perfect in all of his words. He's perfect in all of his actions. He is holy, holy, holy. So God is eternal. God is sovereign. God is majestic. God is holy. There's a fifth one I want you to see in the same verse. Also that God is glorious. God is glorious. Look back at verse three again. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, glory literally means his brightness, the brilliance of his presence. But friends, we have to use this word in the limitations of our language to simply describe all of who God is. When we use the word glory, we're describing the sum of all of God's attributes. I heard it described in a helpful way one time. The holiness and glory really are not that different. They're two sides of the same coin. Holiness is intrinsic to God's nature. It's who he is. It's his character. But glory is the public display of that character. Is us being given a glimpse of His holiness, of who God is. So holiness is who He is, and glory is the display of that for us to see. And friends, His glory when He reveals Himself is so immense. Look at what happens in verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Then when God chooses to reveal even just a glimpse to us of who He is, Things shake. The room was full of smoke because God's glory was so brilliant. God is eternal. God is sovereign. God is majestic. God is holy. God is glorious. And the last one I want you to see in these opening verses here is that God is near. God is near. Since we call this his omnipresence, omni all presence, where he is, that God is all everywhere, that there's nowhere that God is not. Go back to verse 3 again. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of God revealing himself. There's nowhere in the world that God is not. Now, for those who do not know Christ, that is absolutely terrifying because God in all of his holiness is everywhere. And that means there's nowhere we can run to escape the presence of the Holy One who's sovereign over all and who will judge every sin. But for those of us who stand forgiven by God, there's such a precious truth in this that the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of the revelation of who he is. I love how Isaiah describes it just a few pages later, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. He says, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That God's people can sing and shout regardless of our circumstances, because great in our midst is the Holy One. Friends, God is near. Do you realize the wonder of this truth? That God is holy, he is set apart, and yet God is near at the same time. That God is infinite, and yet God is personal. That God is great, but also God is good. And I just encourage you to think about that, of the vastness of God and the nearness of God, the holiness of God and the closeness of God to you, the greatness of God and the goodness of God to you. He's that and he's so much more, friends. We need each day to ponder, to think deeply about the character, the attributes, the nature of the greatness of God. And friends, as we think about the greatness of God, it will change us. And friends, that's what I need right now. That's what you need right now. Our hearts are so quick to worry and fear in the midst of these trials. We need to be transformed as we turn our mind to the greatness of God. Now, how does God, how does thinking about the greatness of God transform us? Let's look back to the example of Isaiah for encouragement here. It transforms us in two ways I want you to see. Number one, when we think about the greatness of God, it helps us understand the magnitude of the grace we have received from him. Friends, when we understand and we think about the greatness of God, it helps us realize the magnitude of the grace we have received from God. Now, what is grace? Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Grace is being given what we have no right to get apart from the mercy of the one who gives it. And friends, when we understand what the seraphim see here, the holy, holy holiness of God, These perfect creatures are still hiding their face and their feet in the presence of the perfectness of God. And to realize that all we deserve from God is judgment and wrath and damnation because we have all offended God. Every single one of us has sinned against God. We deserve nothing but him, but punishment. And yet, in his greatness of his grace and mercy and love, he forgives us of all of our sins, He draws us to himself. He gives us new life. He adopts us as his children. He gives us, as we saw in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or the phrase we saw in John, he gives grace upon grace, friends. We should marvel at that, that we've received grace instead of judgment from God. Look at Isaiah coming to that realization. Isaiah chapter six, look at verse five where we pick back up where we left off. It's Isaiah speaking. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees the greatness of God and realizes his sin, the only word he can come up with is the word woe. Woe is a word that is used when you are lost in despair and have no hope of survival. He says, woe. Because he realizes sinners cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and live. And he realizes he's a sinner. Notice his words here. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. And where lost means he's separated from God. He should not be able to stand in God's presence. But he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Well, he's not just talking about his speech. This is a metaphor for his whole life. If you Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's saying, I'm a man of unclean heart because out of my heart come these words. My whole being is unclean because my heart, my nature is sinful. But he realizes that we're all in the same place as him, that no one is better off than Isaiah. We all stand guilty before God. Notice verse five. He says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Because you and I are in the same boat that Isaiah is in. We have a sinful heart, a sinful nature, and out of which come sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful actions. That's why Romans 3.23 can tell us, For all have sinned, Then it defines sin for us, has fallen short of the glory of God that we've not met God's standards. Friends, none of us will ever stand before God and live because we're good. Friends, we're not good. Only God is good. And yet in our culture, there's such confusion because there's so many people who think that they'll get to heaven because they're good. When you talk to people about, do you have hope of seeing God one day? Do you have hope of going to heaven? I keep hearing people, oh yeah, because I'm basically a good person person. For someone who thinks they're good enough to get to God does not understand the holiness of God that Isaiah saw, the holiness of God that causes the seraphim to cover their faces in the presence of the Almighty. There's nothing you and I can ever do to get to God. So what is the hope for us? Well, the hope is not anything in us. It's nothing that, friends, we can do. Do you notice something here? Isaiah does nothing besides saying, woe is me. Isaiah brings no sacrifice. He doesn't plead with God here. He doesn't promise God anything. He doesn't try to bargain with God. All he can say when he sees God in his greatness is, Woe is me. But notice something: God takes the initiative. God pursues Isaiah and forgives him. God gives grace that is undeserved. And he sends his message to Isaiah through one of these seraphs, one of these seraphim creatures. Look at verse 6. Then of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. This call from the altar of God was a symbol given to Isaiah to show him that he is forgiven, not because of anything in him, but because of what God and His mercy has done for him. It's a sign that God had taken away all of his sin. But it was so important for Isaiah to understand that God didn't want him to misconstrue any of this. He makes it very clear. So God sends a message through the seraphim to him. Look at verse number seven, and He touched my mouth and He said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin." atoned for. In two different ways, God declares here through the seraphim that Isaiah is forgiven. Number one, he says, your guilt is taken away. Friends, when you sin, you're guilty before God. Just like in a court of law, if you go to a court and the judge proclaims guilty, there's some type of punishment that goes with that declaration of guilt. We all stand guilty before God. And God proclaims to Isaiah, not because of anything Isaiah did, but because of God's own grace he says, your guilt is taken away. Isaiah had nothing to do with that. God did this for him. He took away his guilt. But he says, number two, he says, your sin is atoned for. Now, atonement is a big word, but it's an important word in the Bible. It means the wrath of God has been satisfied. Now, the wrath of God is God's holy judgment against sin. And for instance, we think about the attributes of God. Our culture is obsessed with the love of God, but so often we do not think about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not an attribute to apologize for. It's part of God's good nature that flows out of his holiness and his justice and his perfection. I love what Paul says in Romans eleven twenty two. He says, we need to note the kindness and the severity of God. And friends, so often we're quick to run to all the texts that tell us about the kindness of God. And we shy away from all the scriptures to talk about the severity of God. But scripture commands us to think about both the kindness and the severity of God, and Isaiah realizes that god 's wrath against him would be very just, but instead God shows mercy. God gives grace here and forgives him, and says, "Your sin has been atoned for the wrath of God has been satisfied not by anything we do, but for Isaiah, because the Messiah would come and take the sin of the world and for us on the other side of history now, because of what Christ has already come and accomplished what we 're going to celebrate next week on Easter Sunday, our sin and the wrath that we deserve has been satisfied that it has been put on Christ. Instead of on us. Friends, because God is holy, every sin will be paid for. There's no sweeping sin under the rug. Either we pay for it or Christ pays for it in our place. Friends, we need to ponder the greatness of who God is. And as we think about it, it will transform us. And one way it transforms us is it will help us understand the magnitude of the grace that has been given to us. There's a second way that thinking about the greatness of God will transform us in this season or any season of our life. Number two, it helps us realize the necessity of obedience. It helps us realize the necessity of obedience. Sometimes we call this lordship. Now, again, there's a lot of confusion in our culture today. There's a lot of people who think they can be saved and forgiven and stop there, that they can pray a prayer, join a church, do whatever, and they're fine, then live however they want, friends. They desire for Christ to be their Savior, but not their Lord. But from scripture shows us it cannot work that way. Either Christ is your Savior and your Lord both. And Lord means he's your boss, your master, the one that you desire to obey. He's either both Savior and Lord, or he's neither Savior and Lord. You can't have Christ as Savior and not have him as your Lord. It's both and or neither or of those, okay? And so here we see Isaiah catching the vision that because he sees the grace of God, that he has to obey the one who has shown such mercy and grace to him. Look at verse number eight here. In verse eight, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am send to me. Now notice something here. God just says, who's going to go? Period. He doesn't say where he would go, what he would do, how long he'd be gone, if his family could go with. He doesn't give any of the details. God just says, who's going to trust me? You have to say, follow me wherever I say go. And what does Isaiah do? Verse eight. He doesn't go, okay, God, I'm interested, but um, how long will I be gone? Who's going with me? Will the people respond? He doesn't do any of that. He just simply says, God, you said who will go and look back at verse eight. He says in verse eight here, Then I said, here I am, send me. He says, whatever you say, God, I will do. What follows in verses nine and 10 is a really, really, really tough assignment from God. That God says, Isaiah, I'm gonna send you to a people and you're gonna take a message of judgment and they're not going to listen. Their hearts are gonna be hard. But Isaiah understands that regardless of how easy or hard the assignment is, He still has to obey God. And so he obeys him. Friends, when we understand the greatness of God and we understand the magnitude of the grace we've received, then we also understand that following God as our Savior also means we follow him as Lord and we should desire obedience and to follow him in all things. So we think about Isaiah. He's an example for us, friends. Example for our encouragement. Example for our instruction. Like Isaiah, we need to take time and ponder the greatness of God. We need to take time to think about how God is eternal and sovereign and majestic and holy and glorious and near and so much more. And like Isaiah, we also need to let those thoughts of the greatness of God transform us. As we marvel at the grace we have, as we desire to obey him in all things, even in the midst of this trial, like some of the commands we saw last week. That leads us to one last question this morning. How today do we ponder the greatness of God? How do we ponder the greatness of God? We be thinking, well, this is easy for Isaiah. He got a vision. I've never had a vision like this of God. Well, remember, Isaiah had this vision one time. He didn't get up every morning and see this vision day after day after day. This is a one-time experience that God gave him because of a special calling of his assignment. So, friends, how do we today think about and ponder the greatness of God? Well, friends, God, His grace has given us what we need He's given us his word, the written revelation of who he is, of what he's done, of what he is doing today, and what he still will do. Genesis to Revelation, all of it shows us the character of God. Genesis to Revelation, all of it tells us of his nature and of his attributes. Friends, we ponder the greatness of God by opening his word expectantly, reading to see the character of the one that we're trusting in and following. As you remember the first verse I read this morning, Romans chapter 15, verse 4? I'm going to read it to you again in light of all this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and notice this phrase, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Friends, do you need hope today? I do. Where are you going to find it? Through the encouragement of the scriptures. Friends, do you need reminded today of how great God is? I do. Where do we find it? Through the encouragement of the scriptures. Friends, do you need today to marvel afresh at the grace of God poured out to you? Friends, I do. Where do we find it? Through the encouragement of the scriptures. And friends, do you need today reminders that we need to obey God and what we need to obey? I do. And where do we find it? Through the encouragement of the scriptures. When we need scripture. We need God's word, not just on Sundays, but every day when we're alone when we're with our family, when we're with our friends. We need to be feasting on the word of God so that we can keep our mind focused on how great God is. So be reminded of his grace. So be reminded of the call to obey him in all things. So for instance, our trial continues and we keep walking through the coronavirus situation. Can I challenge you and challenge myself as well, brothers and sisters? Let's redeem the time. Let's use this time to feast on the word of God, to see afresh the greatness of God, to see him for who he is and let that transform us as we marvel at his grace, as we seek more grace to obey him in all things. Because that's why I'm so encouraged that you're tuning in this morning, that you're listening to God's word being taught. But I hope it doesn't stop here. Friends. I hope you'll take the discussion questions that are on our website and attach to the email if you're on our email list, and you'll think deeply this week about the discussion questions, the reflection questions from this text. You'll keep spending time with your family and friends, reading the word of God, talking about what God's teaching you, and just encourage one another with the word of God during the season. Because if you're not sure where to start, can I give you a suggested psalm to start reading this week? Is Psalm number 145. Psalm 145 is one we looked at when we studied our, the Psalms last year, but it's one that I think would help you greatly during this season. And to close our time this morning, I just want to read you Psalm 145. I'm not going to give you any commentary, any teaching on it. I just want you to hear it. You're welcome to turn to it right now if you want to follow along, or you're welcome just to listen to God's Word. And I hope this week you'll think about Isaiah 6. I also hope this week you'll think about Psalm 145, as you think about and ponder deeply the greatness of God and let the thoughts of the greatness of God transform you. Hear the word of God, friends. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be appraised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak in the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me, Gateway family? Father, we are thankful that you are a God who is great, who is holy, who is majestic, who is splendid, who is sovereign, who is above all things. And God, yet you're near. And God, I pray this week in my heart, and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters who make up the Gateway family, Lord, that this week we would ponder anew your greatness. That throughout this week, you would just give us reminders of like what we just read in Psalm 145, where we would see in all that you're doing how powerful and strong and mighty you are, and yet we'd experience how merciful and gracious and loving you are at the same time. Or give us an increased awareness of your presence. Give us an increased awareness of your greatness this week. And I pray as we encounter you through your word, as your Holy Spirit lets it come alive inside of us, God, that you would transform us this week. That this week, for myself and these brothers and sisters, that we would have a renewed sense of awe, and just marvel at the fact that you've given us grace instead of giving us the judgment we deserve. I pray this week as well that you would give us fresh conviction of sin where we're erring and where we're not obeying you, that you give us a fresh desire that can only come from the Holy Spirit within us to understand your word and to seek to obey it in all things. And we pray as we do that, God, that you would get all the glory and we find all the joy and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.